Welcome to the Sports Spectrum Podcast, where faith and sports collide. Here's your host, Jason Romano. And welcome everyone to the Sports Spectrum Podcast. My name is Jason Romano. This is episode number eight. And first off, I just want to say thank you to everyone that sent, uh, you know, nice notes and tweets and all this about our last guest on episode seven, which was Ernie Johnson. Ernie was so good. He is just a fascinating man, just such a really kind and gentle man too. And his story, not just being on the uh, Inside the NBA show on TNT, but actually just the man that he is, the dad that he is, the the husband, the person that wants to live this Christ-centered life for others and not this me-centered life was just really inspiring to hear. And listen, if you haven't heard it yet, go back. Go back and listen to episode seven before you listen to this episode because Ernie was just great. And and just, again, I can't recommend it enough. His autobiography, Unscripted, is out as well. Make sure you pick that up. Also, a lot of you have been asking about the t-shirt giveaway we're doing. So 180living.com has graciously donated three t-shirts from their website. You can pick whatever shirt you want. And we're going to give them away to you, the listener. Just an easy, simple way to give back. And all we're asking you to do is leave a review on iTunes. So you go to iTunes, you go to the Sports Spectrum Podcast, you click leave a review, and then you write whatever you want about the show. Hopefully it's something nice. Hopefully it's something you know positive that you've heard on this podcast now for the last couple months. But really, just leave a review. And if you do that, you're automatically entered into win one of these three t-shirts. And we'll pick the winners over the next couple days, and we'll announce the winners of the of the t-shirt giveaway on our next podcast, which will be episode nine, and that is going to be Clemson's wide receiver, Hunter Renfro. That's May 16th that's coming out. So listen to the May 16th podcast with Hunter Renfro coming out, and that's episode number nine, and we will announce the winners of the t-shirts. And if you're thinking about, okay, what t-shirt do I want to get, go to 180180living.com. Check out what they have. It's really good stuff there. And uh, we're just grateful for their partnership and that they're, and their generosity to give us a couple t-shirts to give away on the podcast. Okay, so episode eight, here we go. Today's guest, Pastor Jerry Birch, just completed his 18th season as the Cleveland Cavaliers chaplain. The Cavaliers are rolling through these playoffs, by the way. I mean, they're just playing fantastic basketball. LeBron looks like the best player in the world He may have never not been the best player in the world, but LeBron is just dominating these NBA playoffs, making it look easy. And this is a really cool interview with the chaplain, the Cleveland Cavaliers chaplain, Pastor Jerry Birch. And we take a peek behind the curtain. What's it like to be a chaplain? And and honestly, I ask him the question, does LeBron James attend chapel? So really just fascinating story about Pastor. And his, his personal story is really, really Uh, powerful and motivating and inspiring. So without further ado, here is episode eight of the Sports Spectrum podcast, Pastor Jerry Birch, Cleveland Cavaliers chaplain. Pastor Jerry, welcome to the Sports Spectrum podcast. How are you? I'm well, Jason. How are you? So uh, glad to be, uh, be on your uh, your program, and uh, thanks for thinking of me. No, it's great to have you here, Pastor. We appreciate it. And I think the, the first question I want to talk about, there's a lot of areas we can go, and I definitely want to learn more about you specifically and your journey, but give us in a nutshell sort of the daily responsibilities that you have or weekly responsibilities, if you will, as a team chaplain for the Cavaliers. 
Well, you know, the, the team, uh, every sports, uh, major sports um, league has uh, a chaplain ministry, uh, Major League Baseball, um, NFL, and NBA, and I'm sure also the NHL. Uh, because of the culture uh, and rhythm of each um, uh, major sports uh, league, the, the chaplain ministry kind of takes on a, a different kind of uh, flavor and uh, involvement. In the NBA, it's such a bang-bang league. You know, this um, uh, this whole uh, chaplaincy uh, started in the NBA probably around 30 years ago. Uh, many Christian players were, you know, involved and, uh, you know, grew up in church and uh, had faith and uh, never had a chance to worship. And so uh, the teams began to uh, bring in chaplains because on any given day, uh, particularly on any given Sunday, an NBA team is either uh, practicing traveling or preparing to play and there's no time for church and so that's how it evolved um the uh each team has a a, a different you know um uh, you know relationship uh, i've been uh blessed the cavaliers have always granted uh, uh the ministry great access to the players and um uh, you know i have a, a media badge uh, that allows me in the locker room and and, uh, you know, to establish a relationship with players and, and that sort of thing. But, you know, it, it's uh, we, we don't travel with a team. Essentially, uh, the heart of the ministry is um, 15 minutes before each game, about an hour before each game for 15 minutes. Uh, the visiting team players and the home team players voluntarily, uh, the uh, Cavs give us a room, usually a dressing room or a vacant locker room. And, and we have about 15 minutes uh, to um, to pray and and have a short word and to, uh, you know, to encourage one another. Uh, and that's it. Um, you know, every team has, um, you know, um, certain teams like the Golden State Warriors, uh, Milwaukee Bucks, you know, this, in this particular, you know, season era, uh, just have a number of uh, young men who faithfully attend chapel, whether they're at home or on the road. Um, some teams uh, don't have any, um, but in Cleveland, you know, uh, when uh, prior to LeBron and then uh, during his uh, his uh, three-year uh, or four-season absence, uh, and then um, uh, when he came back, you know, we've had an ebb and flow. But, you know, we've got some faithful uh, players. I think one thing people need to understand is that when the, uh, the professional sports leagues, particularly the NBA, uh, a number of years ago began to uh, talk about we're going to draft for character because we're, gonna have, we're having a lot of – you know, off-court issues and, and yada, yada, yada. Right. What that translates into are, are young men of faith. Um, you look at the young men today, and not necessarily Christian, because uh, we've had uh, uh, young men in the league like Dejana Jop and others who uh, who grew up Muslim, either in Africa or, or in other parts of the country or even here. Uh, uh, Omri Caspi, uh, who I think now is back with Sacramento, um, but he's, he's a practicing Hebrew. But these are young men of faith. And that, that, that whole idea of drafting for character, uh, from my perspective, uh, many times directly translates into young men of faith. Hmm. So tell so me, you, so let me ask you this. So a couple of things come to my mind here. First is the visiting and the home teams go together to chap, yeah, chapel. On, yeah, you know, yeah. In the, so in the end, yep. That's, that's interesting to me because, you know, you're getting ready to, to for lack of a better word, do battle on absolutely, the court. Absolutely, absolutely. Does that? Let me ask you this: In the NBA yeah. Finals, is that the same thing? So, is the Warriors and Cavs players coming together for chapel right before going to battle for the NBA championship? Yep. Wow, that's fascinating it, to me. Well, yeah, because you know the thing that people don't realize is that uh, many people, you know, 
Uh, Jesus wasn't a punk. You know, <laughs> that's true. You know, <laughs> Jesus could e Jesus could easily guard Barkley and hold him scoreless and shake his hand after the after the game and smile. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, and, and and with all the physicality required for the job. You know, and that because it, it at the end of the day it is a game, and you know they they desperately want to achieve the you know and reach the pinnacle of the ring, but um, you know I think that's what uh, at the end of the day when you look at um, uh, you know maturity and anchors uh, in locker rooms, uh, more often than not it's the veterans who are longstanding believers and men of faith. Mm. You know, on our team, I don't think they would mind me saying it. it it's um, James Jones and. Um, Richard Jefferson, uh, they they are faithful, and you know after the finals, uh, Kevin Love uh, tweeted out that uh, he never had a teammate uh, uh, like James Jones, and that's why LeBron wants him around. Le 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 James Jones is first of all James Jones is brilliant, you know uh, intellectually and otherwise, and uh, he is uh, you know a man of faith. He's a Christian. And he understands the you know the Christian principles. I mean, the fruit of the spirit is is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self control. You know, um, so yeah, the the and plus the NBA, like most other professional sports leagues, is is as much a fraternity as anything else. You know, there's a lot of mutual respect and uh, right. you know camaraderie between teams. You know, some of the old guys like you know talk about it. You know, Barkley talks about it on on. Uh, Inside the NBA, some of the old heads like me, you know, well, we, you know, we played, we hated each other. Well, you know, <laughs> you know, there, you have to have a certain, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, I don't know, quote unquote, disdain for your opponent to really, you know, compete. But it doesn't have to, uh, you know, go over into a, you know, a negative or dark side. Mm. So, so yeah, let me ask you this: with free agency and trades, you know, guys are often on the move, so you know, so much from mm -hmm. one team to another. I mean, even. You know, LeBron James is leaving for four seasons. You know, how does that affect the ability for you to do your work as a chaplain? I guess in the sense of growing the relationships, because oh, you're yeah. still going to be giving your 15 minute sermon or whatever it is, you know, yeah. for, you know, each before each game. But like growing in these relationships with people, how does that affect how you do your job as a well, chaplain. That's probably uh, in the NFL. It's a little different because many NFL chaplains are, are at the training facility. It's a slower paced rhythm than the NFL because they practice all week long. They play play one game a week, and the uh, the NFL chaplains are are out of the practice facility, holding you know Bible studies, uh, able to you know have uh, one on ones during coffee or breaks or lunch, and uh, many NFL chaplains travel with the team. Uh, and uh, in the NBA, it, it, it's, a, it's a lot different. And that's absolutely right. The most difficult thing and most challenging thing is to uh, develop the kind of relationship where you have a player's uh, not only his trust, but his heart. And that's really what, uh, what it's really all about, to have influence uh, uh, in, a, in a deeper sort of way. Uh, there have been times uh, when um, you know, that's been, uh, I've been able to do that, but uh, certainly over the last... Uh, you know, uh, ten, well, at the beginning, you know, Cleveland had been in such a state of flux prior to LeBron, and then we were in a state of flux, you know, bringing players in and out, uh, you know, post LeBron. Uh, since it's been back, it's been it's been a little more stable. Um, there have been times. Um, one of my favorite players uh, is Kevin Ollie, the uh, the head coach of Connecticut now. Hmm. Uh, this is how God works. It's amazing. Uh, Kevin Ollie was a good basketball player. 
he was a point guard. He could run a team. Uh, but I think Kevin would tell you, you know, I, I, won't, I won't be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, and Kevin Ollie, uh, I don't have it in front of me, but Kevin Ollie was traded to at least ten different teams. Yeah, I do remember that. Yeah, yeah. he and he because he had that kind of contract that was packageable uh, to make other other deals work. But Kevin Ollie was the greatest evangelist that I've ever seen in NBA history. And where wherever uh, Kevin was with Cleveland for a couple of years, he was tremendous. He had a great influence on our players uh, in those seasons. And wherever Kevin Ollie went, if he uh, if he went to Team B uh, in the prior season when Team B came to Cleveland, none of their players came to Chapel. When Kevin Ollie was on Team B, half the team came with him. Wow. Kevin would say, uh, you know, when they're on the road, uh, you know, they say, hey, Kevin, we're going to go out. You want to go out? He said, no, you know where I'm going to be. If anybody wants to have Bible study, I'll be in my room. Hmm. And so he, he was a, a tremendous evangelist and influenced a lot of players and a lot of teams. And, uh, you know, there's a, a lot of that goes on uh, in the in, in the NBA. Michael Red was a, uh, out of Ohio State, was a son of a pastor, was very influential and, you know, for Christ. And, you know, it's um, uh, the league is, you know, when you get to know these young men, I you know, my wife and I have been together 43 years. We have four children, two sons. My sons are 41 and 34. And so I tease the guys now, you know, I'm, I'll be 66 next week. And so all these guys are young enough to be my sons. Even Richard Jefferson, you know, who's in his mid-30s, like, you know, hey, man, you're still my son. I know you're a vet. You know, they think you're a grizzly around here, but no, <laughs> man, you're like, you're, you're like my son. Yeah. And, and I do have um, uh, players um, uh, on our team. You know, many players are believers who don't come to chapel for whatever reason. You know, it, it, it doesn't fit the routine. Sometimes I've had players um, – uh, like Drew Gooden, who were faithful in attendance until their shooting warm-up schedule changed and conflicted with uh, the, the window of chapel. And, you know, so there are a lot of reasons that, uh, you know, many players who are believers. Uh, I mean, LeBron confessed Christ publicly uh, early on, uh, on on national TV. Hmm. Uh, and you know, LeBron is a believer, uh, but he doesn't come to chapel. I mean, there's, I mean, I, I wouldn't, I, I, just thinking for a second, uh, to to be in LeBron's shoes gives me migraines. Mm. You know, to to deal to to understand um, the um, the complexities and and all the tenacity and perseverance of, uh, that he has to summon every day to be LeBron. In I was going to ask you about him a little later, but, yeah. but we're here, so let's talk about him for a second. You said he doesn't attend chapel, but he's professed a faith. So how how have you, in your relationship with him, been able to help him or disciple him or even just kind of be there for him? Because you've been there for 18 years, and so yeah. you were there pre-LeBron. You were there yeah. when he came in the league yeah. as an 18-year-old, you know, King James, you know, the savior of the NBA, and then... Uh, he leaves and he goes to Miami and he comes back. So let's mm-hmm. talk about your relationship with him. Well, I, you know, I don't really have one. I mean, in, okay. in the sense that, you know, we're not friends, we're not buddies. Um, uh, I may see him a few times during the course of the season. I always encourage him. LeBron, I'm a huge LeBron fan, not as a basketball player, certainly as a basketball player, but just as a man. Yeah. And as, and as a, a young man who has demonstrated just the – uh, heroic um, outcomes on every level of his life. I mean, you know, um, to when you go, you, you should, your your listeners should go Google and re- pull LeBron's letter uh, that uh, he wrote upon his return to Cleveland. 
Mm-hmm. And you'll you'll see that um, the essentially uh, he came back. It was more than a business decision. It was more than a uh, a basketball decision. It was a calling. He had to come back. There was something greater uh, than basketball, greater than Miami, greater than Cleveland that he had to come back. Uh, and he's a uh, um, you know so you know. But to, but to answer the question, you know. Um, uh, you know, we've we've had you know several hallway conversations. I always always encourage him. He's always uh, cordial. Uh, you know, and LeBron is is also brilliant. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the things that um, you know, I, I I inherited from uh, our, the past chaplain Tom Petersburg, uh, the 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 uh, the dean of sports chaplains in the country. He uh, is, uh, is retired now, but he's on staff with AIA for many many years. Right. Um, you know, we uh, produce, um, we call them chapel notes and, uh, they're, you know, little half pages. You take a, take an eight and a half by 11, you landscape it, you, 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 and you cut it in half. And, and, uh, the players allow me to leave chapel notes, uh, on their chairs in the locker room. So all the players get chapel notes. And, uh, you know, I, I couldn't tell you for sure, uh, but I know in my heart, uh, you know, mo- many of the players and especially LeBron, you know, when he has time and from time to time and, you know, I try to, to, to sculpt it uh, because one thing people need to understand about the, the I don't know how the, a lot of the other chapters do it. I'm sure they're the same way. But, you know, my job isn't to go in there and, and, and rah, rah, get them ready for a game. That's above my pay grade. And, you know, the, and, and like uh, Popovich said, you know, I, I'm, you know, if, if, if based on what you're getting paid, if I have to if I have to get you up for a game, then you need to go. <laughs> right. You know? Yeah. Uh, my, my job is uh, to um, is to is to teach them and inspire them uh, to learn, understand, and apply the word of God to their life. It's, it's, my, it's the same role I have as a pastor in my church, uh, and to care for them and to pray for them and to let them know, you know, that uh, there, there are many, many, many people uh, who uh, are in their corner, and it has nothing to do with basketball. They're just great young men, and, um, and, 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 we, and we support them. So, you know, um, uh, so, you know, back, you know, back to, to LeBron, you know, um, uh, like I said, um, I, uh, the, the other thing about being a chaplain is that you have to know your place. You know, it's very difficult to establish a relationship with, sport, with sports, uh, you know, uh, with, you know, stars uh, and professionals anyway. They're, 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 they're naturally guarded and, and they should be. Um, I'm very, very careful. I've had three associate, four associate chaplains over my my uh, tenure, and I've been. And God sent each one of them to me. They they were handpicked by God because I have uh, every season people call me. They'll track me down, and I'm easy to track down. I'm on Facebook and all this sort of thing. Sure. Uh, and I'll I'll get called when LeBron came back three seasons ago. I probably got a half a dozen calls <laughs> from guys who said, "Hey, I'm I'm uh, I've i I've got an epiphany from God. I'm supposed to help be the be the, the the chapel ministry. I'm like, oh. and who are you again? Right. You well, know, and, I got to imagine it would be a large amount of people that yes, would come and, flocking and, to uh, be a part of that. Yeah, and my response was, well, well, when God tells me, I'll call you back. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because you don't want to bring somebody in there. Of course uh, not. Yeah, that, that's going to try to leverage a relationship into personal gain or notoriety and that sort of thing. That's the last thing. So, I think where we are now, uh, where I am now, is that uh, I think as a team, uh, they trust me. Yeah. And that that's really all you can ask for so that you have a legitimacy in your ministry that 
uh, when you do leave some notes on their 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 chair or when they do have a chance to to interact with you the you know that you're not up to anything you don't want anything you're just there uh for them spiritually and that's really all that that I want the way I try to influence the team the last couple of seasons uh especially uh is is through the guys who do attend chapel mm, yep. uh i've I've tried to make the uh the chapel notes i used to just use outlines. Uh, and if you picked up the chapel notes even a few years ago, um, and say if you were just a you know a worker around the uh, the arena, and we left a chapel note in one of the, the rooms, uh, it, it it might be helpful, but you really wouldn't have um, uh, you know the full story. So what I've tried to do, I've actually tried to mimic kind of like the daily bread uh, uh, with um, you know a, a, a whole. Uh, a content that that hangs together from start to finish, uh, and I flesh it out in chapel. But if you pick it up, you know it's got a a main point, uh, it's got key points, and it's got a final point. And uh, the scriptures are Im- embedded in there, and the main points are highlighted, and 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 it holds together. So it's a lesson that you can you can you know, you know appreciate and understand uh, as a standalone leave behind. Sounds like a book to me, Pastor Jerry. I'm just saying. Well, I, I, I'm, you know, I think I may have mentioned I am working on working on a, a book. Um, That's great. Uh, called uh, NBA Chapel Notes. Um, I think the the working title I have today it'll probably change tomorrow. But the working title I have today is is um, uh, wisdom from God's Word for perseverance in season and out of season. So, you know, that that sort of thing. But That's um, great. So, you know, that's really where, where it, it's all about. I try to um, really give um, uh, uh, Champ, that's uh, JJ's nickname, and, and RJ, and now we have Dante Jones back for the playoffs. Uh, he's a faithful attender. He's a good locker room leader. That's why he's back. And uh, I try to give them the meat uh, and give them the water they can carry back to the locker room, the spiritual water that they can they can use as they interact with the other players. That's awesome. We're talking to Pastor Jerry Birch. He is the Cleveland Cavaliers chaplain, just completed his 18th season. He's also the co-pastor of Abundant Grace Fellowship in Cleveland Heights in Ohio. And I want to ask you about you, Pastor. So we talked about being the, the Cavs chaplain, but what about you? How does how does Jerry Birch become a pastor? Where does that begin for you? That's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, thanks for the answer. <laughs> you know, it, because I mean, I've I've um, uh, I, I've had a, a, uh, I've had a great life. I came from a great family. My parents are uh, West Indian immigrants. I was born later in their life. My father was fifty-one, um, turned fifty-one two days after I was born. My mother was in her early forties. They they passed away. My mother died when I was fourteen. But you know, I had that that immigrant mentality, which is you know, achieve, achieve, achieve. And uh, so I, I ended up, um, you know, uh, did well in school. Eventually, I got uh, uh, swept up in, in affirmative action. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I, uh, it came out in the late 60s, came out of high school in 69. I was a, uh, I got a chance to go to an, up, uh, uh, an academic enrichment program at Yale University while I was still in high school, which turned me on to the Ivy League. I got a full academic scholarship to Dartmouth College. Uh, I got a, another a full fellowship. Because uh, I did well at Dartmouth, eventually made dean's list my senior year. Uh, got in t- right off the bat uh, at the age of 22. I got admitted to the University of Chicago's business school. Uh, completed that in 18 months, and I ended up with a an Ivy League degree and an MBA from Chicago at the at, at the age of 20 23. 
Uh, I it met sounds my like wife Pastor was definitely written on the, on the forefront there then, right? That's yeah, exactly. what you went to school for, correct? Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> I mean, you know, and because, you know, uh, I went to those elite schools, I came out with an elitist attitude with, a, you know, uh, with a, a, a long-term program to rule the world. And um, but, you know, the wheels quickly fell off because I developed a lot of bad habits. I was a good boy when I got to college. I was, you know, a classic uh, bippy when I got out, you know, black hippie. I had the, you know, the Afro, the, uh, the people may not remember Sly and the Family Stone, but I had these pork chop sideburns, the Fu Manchu mustache. And, <laughs> but but even trying to make a, a long story a little shorter, you know, I developed some bad habits of drugs and alcohol and, and uh, you know, uh, uh promiscuous sex in in college and and i met my wife in in chicago uh the the first month i got there for graduate school she was an undergrad uh in the college and uh it turns out she's from cleveland also and and we met and um you know uh fell in love uh short you know in in, in short order and and uh, got married after she finished her her degree that that following summer. But I drug all those bad habits into my marriage, and um, you know, Lord gave me great jobs. I came back to Cleveland, started out with a great job. Uh, I guess they would call what I did now data analytics. Uh, I was the market planner at Standard Oil, and you couldn't tell me nothing. I was I was an arrogant. Uh, you know, I was always a well, I describe myself this way when I look over my shoulder and look back. I was always a well-dressed, well-educated, well-spoken fool, hmm. uh, you know, because, you know, I'd, I'd still hang in the clubs and, you know, one, still, still, you know, uh, smoke marijuana. And, you know, I, you know, I always said, you know, I'm, I'm, I needed to relax. It was a lot of pressure, you know, and it's a lot of stuff going on. But long story short, my uh, God began to strip me because I grew up in church and I knew better. And I was a I was a believer. You and if I was like they said, if I would have died at the age of twenty five, uh, and and I was accused of being a Christian, there was very little evidence uh, yeah. to to convict me. You'd have to get some witnesses back from when I was like twelve. <laughs> and um, uh, but you know uh, I I um, I was unfaithful um, uh, to my wife. I did, uh, kind of characterized myself as a serial adulterer. It doesn't matter if you kill somebody every day, every year, or once a decade. If you do it a couple, two or three times, you're a serial. And, um, uh, you know, that all came out uh, uh, after about seven years of marriage, eight years of marriage. And because God began to strip me, he began to strip me my career. Uh, my, uh, I almost lost my house and my, I almost I was losing my wife. And uh, it's so interesting. Um, people say, you know, the, the church, you know, guys say, you know, I don't like going to church because you know, a lot of times it's, it's just full of women. Well, you know, that's because men drive women back to God, you know, and uh, I drove my wife back into the church. And that was the only solace she, she knew she could find. And um, uh, she started going to this little storefront church. Um, and um, when I uh, when I came to my my senses, like the prodigal son, and I remind people, prodigal means wasteful. Um, I, I lift my head up in the pig pen, and I'm like, "What have I done? What am I doing? Where am I at? I, I got to go home, and I got to get my wife back." And um, I chased my wife into this Baptist church, and that's where God uh, took me into custody. And uh, uh, you know, it was a great church. Uh, the pastor, old-fashioned uh, Southern Baptist preacher, deep baritone voice, 
But one thing I, I really appreciated is that he preached the uh, unadulterated word of God, focused on the gospel, mm. uh, focused on salvation, redemption, eternal life, and grace, mercy, love, and forgiveness. And uh, the Lord captured my heart as an adult, and I, I, I rededicated my life to Christ. And my wife and I began to, you know, um, you know, walk through the muddy waters of the Red Sea. Uh, you know, uh, at least it was muddy for us. Uh, we had to slog through it, but the Lord delivered us, and we looked up uh, after eight or nine years, and you know we were, we didn't smell like smoke anymore, like the three Hebrew boys when they came out of the uh, uh, the furnace. But it's one uh, thing to be saved, to be walking with God, to be, you know, on fire for the Lord. It's a whole nother thing to become a pastor. So when does that moment happen for you? Well, you know, I I, I got this inkling uh, when I was in that small Baptist church that I was being called to preach, and I'm like, that's that's that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> and and so I did the I did the the Gideon test. You know, I, I put out some fleeces, and and uh, you know, I asked the Lord. Uh, I said, uh, and I told the pastor there. I said, I think I'm being called to preach. I'm not sure. He said, Well, you know. Continue to pray about it and continue to process it. And, you know, uh, when you come up with something, you know, let me know. And so this went on for a year. I asked the Lord for three impossible things hmm. uh, that I knew were impossible. One was to restore my marriage. Uh, he had stripped me financially. He had stripped my career. I had a great uh, position at a big accounting firm, and I was let go. Um, we were on uh, food stamps and uh, had to file bankruptcy and I said, you know, you know, if you if you want me to preach, restore my marriage, restore my finances, and our church uh, at the time, this small uh, little storefront church was um, in the process of raising funds to build a new sanctuary on the uh, land adjacent to it. And I said, you know, um, and then and it didn't look like so. This is crazy. This little church is not going to be able to do that. I said. And if you really want me to preach, not only restore my personal finances and restore my marriage, but, you know, we, we uh, restore the church finances to a point where the building will go up. And um, after about a year, um, I looked around and all those things were, were well on the move to restoration. And I'm like, oh, crap. Wow. I, <laughs> I, he I, answered I, my question. Yeah, exactly. Oh, no, I said, what do I do? I said, because if you want me to do this, you'll have to show me. And if you show me, I'll do it. And, um, you know, and he showed me and I went back to the pastor. Now, this pastor, he just passed away a couple of years ago. He was known for um, uh, being a little gruff, very direct, uh, a little scary. And um, you know, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to his office. I remember this like it was yesterday. I'm going to his office to have this meeting about, you know, um, becoming uh, uh, licensed in the church as, as a, 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 a gospel preacher, a Baptist preacher. You know, the Baptist church will license you first and then ordain you. And uh, I said, OK, Lord, uh, you know, you know how easy it will be for Pastor Payton to kick me out of his office and say no. So this is this is the last line. This is your last line of defense. You know, <laughs> if you don't want me to do this, I know it's easier. And I went in his office and it was so strange because there was very little conversation. I said, I said, Pastor Payton, I told him the story I told you about, you know, the, the fleece and the miraculous answers. And, and he said, OK, well, OK, your 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 first your trial. These have trial sermons back then. Oh, your trial sermon will be. I'm like, oh my goodness. <laughs> and um, you know, then I began to, um, you know, um, 
you know, teach in the church, and I preach very, very rarely. You know, in the Baptist church back then, you know, you, know, you preach in the, uh, you might get one preaching day a year in the middle of August when the, the pastor and everybody else is on vacation. Right. But I did, I did a lot of teaching, did a lot of youth ministry, and I went back to school. Uh, I, I didn't finish my seminary degree, but I went back to Ashland here uh, locally in Cleveland. And uh, it just got, it, back then it just got too much for me. Uh, I began to, I started a small business that the Lord blessed. It uh, went on for 25 years. And um, uh, then, um, you know, with the family obligations and the business obligation, I was very involved in the church and um, I just, uh, I just never finished. But, you know, um, uh, you know, the rest is history. I was with that church for, uh, as a licensed minister for six years. Um, I, I began working with another small church, another small Baptist church where I was ordained two years later. Uh, and then in 95, I got involved with a non-denominational ministry that was amazing. Uh, I learned so much, uh, about church, uh, polity and organization and, uh, the, uh, uh the, the, the biblical foundation and efficacy of, of an elder-led church and, and then uh, 10 years later, in 2005, I was part of a new church plan, Abundant Grace Fellowship, uh, with another pastor from that church and, uh, and a, a good core group of folks that, uh, you know, we've, we'll, we'll celebrate our 12th anniversary in June. That's tremendous. We're talking to uh, Pastor Jerry Birch. He is, like you said, the co-pastor of Abundant Grace Fellowship in Cleveland, Cleveland Heights. Now, you mentioned in your journey the, you know, the infidelity, some of the things you were going through as a young, as a young man, um, trying to figure out life even without Christ. And now I've seen it, I've read that you lead a marriage ministry with your wife, Gail. Mm -hmm. You said you've been together for 40 plus years. Mm -hmm. You're passionate about marriage. You know, does that come from kind of what God did through you and your wife and your marriage personally? Absolutely. Absolutely. Jason, you know, when, um, all this began to unravel in the early eighties, um, one of the things that we are really blessed with here in Cleveland is um, a local Moody Bible radio station, WCRF, uh, and um, that stands for Christian Radio Fellowship. They they first went on the air in the 50s, but um, uh, some of the folks at that small Baptist church I went to or recommended I, I started listening to WCRF, and you know, I'm, I've been highly influenced by Moody Bible Radio and, and the pastors and teachers that have come uh, off of the, that uh, that network. Uh, people like um, uh, uh, John MacArthur and uh, Chuck Swindoll and uh, Tony Evans and and uh, uh, Charles Stanley and uh, uh, David Cook and, uh, and yeah. Pastor Cole and you know Warren Wearsby and the list goes on and on. You know, those are my those are my uh, spiritual fathers doctrinally, and Doctor um, uh, Dobson focused on the family, which uh, just gaining traction back then. I used to listen to him every day when I was going through this because he was really because he was on the air uh, and he was doing most of the teaching and most of the interviewing, and they did something every day on marriage. And I began to buy the books. I began to buy the books by uh, uh, by Chuck Swindoll, Strike the Original Match. And, and uh, you know, one thing that, that really bothered me is that once I began to really learn this stuff and apply it and, and see how God just uh, moved miraculously when I began to, you know, um, uh, you know, do the right thing for the right reason, 
uh, to love my wife uh, like I love my own body and to, and to not be harsh with her. And I was really never a harsh guy. I'm not a yeller and scream, that sort of thing. I'm just a snake. <laughs> but Sneaky. But, yeah, I'm, sne- I'm <laughs> sneaky, right? But, you know, uh, I actually became angry because I grew up in church and nobody ever said anything about any of this stuff. None. Right. And uh, so, you know, um, uh, one one couple came to us one day and, and uh, you know, it kind of started that way. We, we kind of, inc- we never called ourselves marriage ministers or marriage counselors. We're, you know, we're just encouragers and, and, and ministers. And, and um, one thing led to another. And um, we got to um, uh, the first evangelical church we began to attend, the non-denomination church, uh, was just starting. And we told the pastor about our heart for marriages, and uh, he um, uh, set us up, and uh, we began to teach a marriage class. We did that for 10 years. Uh, we taught a marriage class every Sunday for 10 years, and that, that went, uh, you know, uh, rolled over into a request for other churches and other conferences. And, and uh, the, uh, the tagline of our, our ministry is called Mastering the Ministry of Marriage, hmm. because marriage is your, is your ultimate point of service. You know, I would tell people, in fact, I would get in trouble sometimes because, you know, when you're a, when you're a bivocational pastor in a growing church, uh, there is, uh, there's so many responsibilities. I mean, we're teaching the marriage class and uh, we had small, we were leading small groups. And and then there were, from time to time, you know, I'd get this question, well, your pastor, are you coming to prayer meeting? I'm like, nope. You don't like to pray? I love to pray. He said, well, you have a conflict? I'm like, yeah. So what are you going to be doing? I'll be watching Wheel of Fortune, you know? Right. <laughs> because, you know, um, my, I, my, one of my, um, you know, uh, mantras is I can't, I have not earned the right to minister to anyone else until my wife is fully ministered to. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'll, uh, in the old days, pastors were taught uh, that their families were sacrificed for the, for the ministry. And that's not true. I mean, Paul said in Second Corinthians chapter 7, if you really want to serve the Lord unfettered, it's best that you not be married. Mm-hmm. But Because when you're married, you have to uh, learn how to please your spouse and, and uh, you know, in all the things of this world. It's, uh, so That's great. Know, yeah. So uh, my wife and I have... Um, you know, the habits I developed, um, I forgot who wrote this book, um, uh, is how, how to Win Your Wife Back Before It's Too Late. Uh, Gary Smalley, I think. Uh, it's written as a football metaphor, how to win your wife back before it's too late. But the, all the habits, uh, and I, I I did all this stuff before I even wrote that book. I mean, by the time I, somebody sold me his book, like, yeah, I, okay, I, okay. Um, it's a great book, uh, but all the, the habits, I began to focus on my wife like a laser beam from morning to night. Um, I began to, um, we have a, I have a habit today, even today, you know, uh, full disclosure. Uh, I mean, we're at a point now where my wife really doesn't, I'm not sure she cares about all the points of detail about where I'm going to be doing today, but I, I just had a habit. I recite what my schedule is and where I'm going to be and what, you know, and all this sort of thing. Yeah, it's, it's full disclosure. And, um, you know, we're at a, a comfort level now where, um, like I said, uh, you know, at, at, it's been 30 years since all of the upheaval, uh, 35 years since all the upheaval. And um, we're like the three Hebrew boys, you know, our, our, our clothes are weren't singed uh, our, and we don't smell like smoke. That's great. I love that story. It's awesome. I'm so glad you're passionate about marriage because I think there is a you know, marriage is kind of losing itself, I think, a little bit sometimes in the way it's viewed in this country. But I want to go 
even back into the sports world a little bit and talk about marriages and sports, there's a there's a taboo about that that athletes can stay married during their careers. I actually remember a story when I was at ESPN that a player came to visit and he was probably he was retired and maybe 37, 38, something like that. I don't think he was a believer because he said this answer. I said, are you married? And I was just kind of making conversation with him. And he said, married. No way, man. If I was married during my playing career, I would have been divorced 17 times. And I said, mm -hmm. oh, oh. And I said, the temptation was that bad, huh? And he said, you have no idea. And this mm -hmm. was a football player, not a basketball player, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but it's still sports. And so I remember that and think, wow, is this how it is with athletes? And I know, and I've been around enough to kind of know somewhat of what's going on. But I want to ask you specifically, because this marriage and sports and athletes sort of taboo thing what have you seen as far as marriages go in the nba and can players stay faithful can they have a healthy marriage and still have an nba career uh, absolutely i think um people get a little um crazy when they want to uh, segregate out uh the professional sports uh, professional athletes experience from the rest of society yeah um you know you take um you know entertainment in general uh, even even the corporate guys, uh, you know, who are doing well, young, they're traveling. I mean, they have the same temptations, maybe not as dramatic as, you know, um, uh, having, uh, you know, 50 women hanging out around the hotel trying to, you know, get a piece of you. But but the tempt I mean, the, uh, you're a man. I'm a man. You know, the, the, the temptation is always there. Of course. Uh, and, uh, you know, it all boils down to. Uh, your relationship with Christ, your relationship with uh, your wife, and, and your maturity in the Lord. You know, um, uh, remember now these these the, the NBA has gotten uh, younger and younger. You know, um, yes. and so I mean, I was a fool in my mid twenties, and I didn't have any money. You know, I mean, I you know not not comparatively so. You know, yeah. Um, and uh, I can only imagine what it would be like to. I mean, even if you take a, a minimum contract. Uh, of of a, you know low six figures, uh, and these guys are are you know twenty one twenty two and they're 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 banking ninety grand this season. That's not even for a whole year. They're getting game checks at the end, end of the year after taxes. You got ninety thousand dollars in the bank. You know, I mean, it's uh, it's 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 a different kind of challenge, but it's no different than any other part of society. I mean, if you look at what's going on in society. Uh, it's the same thing. So, you know, you, I, I'm really kind of defensive when people say, well, it's different for the NBA players. No, it's not. It's the same thing. You know, um, the the, uh, the rate of the NBA players are, are not doing anything to budge the stats uh, uh, in one direction or the other, whether it's, uh, you know, uh, marriage staying faithful, married being divorced, or fathering children out of wedlock. Hmm. It's the same thing across the board. Interesting. Well, let me ask you this then, because there is another perception versus reality about just, I think, the stigma of that there aren't many Christians in the NBA. Um, and I've, I've heard that from a few people. And, you know, I believe, you know, you mentioned LeBron earlier, LeBron James, and how, you know, he's professed his faith in, in Christ, and yet he doesn't attend chapel, or he doesn't be, you know, standing at the end of every game and, and start preaching or giving Bible verses out. He just lives his life as an example. But paint this story, this this perception versus reality of Christianity in, in the NBA. Well, you know, I would say that um, it's like anything else. Um, uh, there, are, You're probably working uh, across the, the cubicle aisle from another Christian 
uh, and, and you're a Christian and neither one of you know it. You don't even realize be, be, it. Because you're both in the CIA. Right. The Christian Inactive Association. <laughs> and you get by the water cooler one day and, and the subject comes up and, and, you know, you say, well, you know, I'm a Christian. Like, oh, you that, that's what I used to get. You <laughs> know, like I, I was I, in my younger days, you know, I was a professing Christian. I think I'm a Christian. Like, oh, you are? Really? You know. Yeah. Uh, these these days, um, you know, when I mention that, you know, I say I knew there was something different about you, uh, and it's but it's a maturity. I mean, it's the same thing uh, in society. Uh, I think uh, part of it, uh, uh, you know, we don't like to talk about this. I, I think I'm, I'm waiting to see the Charles Barkley's uh, 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 show on race relations um, coming out. Uh, I guess tomorrow or tonight or something like that. But I think part of it has to do with race. I mean, if if the uh, if the NBA were in the exact same condition with the exact same statistics, uh, and it were uh, uh, you know mostly um, you know Caucasian league, we wouldn't have the nobody even think about it. Yeah, wouldn't even talk about it. It wouldn't even be an issue. You know, um, and I think part of it has to has to do with the racial perception of uh, of uh, of black young men. I mean, you know, we got two guys from the New York Knicks uh, last season. Uh, uh, J.R. Smith and um, uh, Iman Shumpert. And these are some hard-boiled guys. <laughs> I mean, these guys have an edge, and we needed that. We needed that. You know, they're not, they're not, they're on the court, they're not choir boys, I mean, you know, but they come from great families. Yes. You know, you, you, you look at, uh, you know, the, the, the public perception is to look at J.R. Smith. I mean, J.R. Smith is so passionate. Yeah, you know, um, and what people see uh, and misinterpret is his passion. He's one of those people that whatever he does, he just puts in a thousand percent. And um, well, that was on but, display. Remember when the Cavs won the title and he was exactly. in the post game locker room and he was in tears at um, that's what talking about his family. And you know, it takes more guts. You know, for me, I would have given the ESPY award to J.R. Smith because it takes more guts to show your heart. To to a, to a to a a, a buy it to a, to a, to a, you know the the, the the I have I have other issues with the media but that that's no you know, I know what you mean I know you know uh, you know uh, but to bear your heart to that kind of audience uh, is amazing yeah and uh, you know uh, to to just profusely thank his dad and you know people would look at a, a J.R. Smith and Eman Shumpert and say well you know they they probably came up you know in the you know the the the, the bottom part of the the uh, of the Bronx or you know some some deep dark ghetto and you know probably had a mom you know a teenage mom and yada right. yada, yada. And, no their parents are hard working you know professionals and, and and career people that have raised their children right you know like i said you know um, jesus was a carpenter they didn't. They didn't have Black and Decker back then, <laughs> and you know, I'm I'm sure he had some some pecs and some biceps from from cutting and 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 carving and, and lifting all day with his dad. And uh, you know, it's so interesting because every time Jesus was in an altercation, they they approached him, you know, with with trepidation and fear. Mm. They you know, um, and and not just because he uh, you know he could raise the dead and disappear out of their midst. I mean, he was like I said, he wasn't you know um, some kind of mamby pamby. I mean, when he when he cleared the temple at the beginning of his ministry, and again at the end when he came back after the uh, triumphal entry, I mean, nobody was standing up to him. They were running away. 
So, you know, uh, you can have an, have that edge uh, and still be a, be a believer. I mean, Jesus Christ didn't call us to, to, uh, to be soft. He called us to be loving. And sometimes love must be tough. He also told us that, you know, if a man doesn't work, he will shell out. Even you got to do your job. Yeah. Well, we live, too, in a culture where we're so judgmental, not just as a world, but as as a believer in a lot of ways, because of social media and technology and everything being so public, we automatically put stigmas and judge people um, before we even know what they're about or who they are. And that includes Christians because Christians are under a microscope. And if we see them say, if we see them curse one time, all of a sudden we get so defensive, like, oh, he doesn't really love God. And it's like, wait a minute here. Do you really know this person? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's so key because, um, I've told a couple of players, I won't mention their names, I've had some conversations with them, and they were having a, a tough, going through a tough time, and I would remind them, it's like, hey, man, I know what I'm looking at. I know who I'm looking at. I know who I'm seeing. I've raised two black sons. I know who, I, I can, I see you. You're not who they say you are. You know, you don't, you don't, don't believe that now. They don't know, they have no I, earthly idea what they're talking about. Yeah. I talk, I talk to people who talk about LeBron, look. LeBron, LeBron um, you know, I haven't had these conversations. LeBron, I'm just talking as a fan and as, as an observer and as a pastor. Uh, you know, he, he uh, he's married. And, and beyond that, you know, he's got the LeBron James Family Foundation. Uh, your listeners should go Google that. LeBron is having more impact on the city of Akron than anybody else in history. Mm. I mean, he's got a foundation that not only supports families ongoing, but... Uh, I don't know the, uh, I may misquote some of the, the details of this program, but uh, there's a class going, moving through the uh, Akron City Schools right now. Uh, I think he did this a few years ago, and they're like third or fourth graders. They have a guarantee from the LeBron James Family Foundation that if they graduate uh, and get uh, admitted into the University of Akron, the foundation will pay their tuition for four years. Wow. The whole class, Jason. That's amazing. Now you know where did, what what kind of where does that come from? That that comes from a, a heart that that that's bigger than philanthropy. Yes. You know, and, and, and it you, comes from it comes from something that isn't public and seen as much. Exactly. As it exactly. should, and, and and that's in some ways that's what you want. You want it to be. You want to do these things in quiet. You don't you don't need all the publicity to serve and to love and to give. But at the same time, as you're watching, I know you what you said earlier about the media, you'd like to see more good stories and positive stories like yeah. that instead of and just can, the same old thing every day. And I can also say this, without even mentioning any names, um, every MVP candidate, with the exception of maybe one, are believers. Mm. Go down the list. They, yeah. all come, they all come to chapel. These, these, these guys, this is what amazes me. Outside, uh, we're in the tunnel. Yeah, out in the arena, there are 20,000 people, rabid fans, paid big, big money, hundreds of dollars to see you perform. Yeah. Uh, you're under contract. Uh, you've got to go perform in the arena as a gladiator. There's pressure to, uh, of all sorts that we can't even imagine. And these young men, you know, these are the stars, the, the MVPs and, and their teammates, and every, all, these, all these young guys. A lot of times we start chapel at uh, 60 on the event clock. They have a, the, the, the uh, game clock uh, uh, about 90 minutes before they blow the horn to start the national anthem, which is usually about five minutes. They say it's a seven o'clock game. The horn blows about 
So 90 minutes before 7.05, the game clock starts a countdown. And we call that the event clock. And when that clock hits 60, that's when we chapel starts. When it hits 45, that's when we have to say amen. We have, we have I'm, almost every game, there might be some guys that are, are uh, on the floor and they're shooting schedule, whatever. These guys are running, to, these young men are running to church. Hmm. They're running to church. And, and hey, Jason, they're, com- they're, they're coming in, they're coming in because they're looking for things. They desperately know they need things that money can't buy. Right. Because they can buy anything they want. Exactly. But but they need wisdom. They need perspective. They need hope. They need strength. You know, they need the truth. They need encouragement. They want to draw closer to God because they know that uh, that's 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 more important than the twenty thousand people who paid hundreds of dollars to watch them perform. It, it, this is more important than that. You know, um, uh, Stan is a, 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 probably in the late nineties maybe late 90s, early 2000s, when Stan Van Gundy was the coach of the Knicks. The Knicks had a huge contingent of believers, Charlie Ward and Henderson and the other guys. I mean, they, they loved their chaplain so much and had such a great relationship with him. They had opened up to him. They had him sitting on the bench. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> you haven't been on the bench yet, huh, Pastor no, Jerry? <laughs> no, no, I haven't been on the bench. I haven't been on the bench since college. <laughs> No, that's fantastic. That's great. And listen, let's let's we're getting close to the end here. I just want to ask you one more question uh, before we leave. And we ask this to uh, to all of our our guests on the podcast. And it's simply this, Pastor. What is God teaching you right now? And I I say that because it's interesting. We ask this of all of our guests, but you're a pastor, so a lot of people think you have all the answers. But but you you know you're still learning too in, in your mid 60s. So what is God teaching you right now? I. I... I have a ready answer for that because it's been um, a, a profound um, refinement uh, that the Lord has happened has had with me. Uh, I had major surgery about three years ago. I had a lot of time to think. I was on a walker for about almost uh, six, eight months. Mm. I had Peyton Manning surgery, but I'm not Peyton Manning. <laughs> and um, gotcha. but it, it boils down to this: um, God really is only after two things. Why does God even care? Why, why, you know, the Bible is the record of God's intervention into the life of man. And, and why, why does he even care to intervene? Well, the Bible says God only cares about really two things. I mean, primarily his first, his first um, uh, primary um, um, aim is that every man be saved from his coming wrath. Uh, I think it's in Timothy. It says, this pleases God, our Savior, that that every man uh, uh, be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And his son is the truth. Hmm. He wants he's reaching out to every every human, every soul uh, with uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ, his birth, his death and his resurrection uh, for the forgiveness of sin, uh, redemption of our souls and eternal life. That's bottom line. Everything else is ancillary, secondary, adjunct. It hangs off of that. Once we become believers, God is primarily concerned about one other thing. And that is, you know, there's that verse, I think it's Romans 8, 28, and we know that God uh, works all things together for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. We love that verse uh, until we're in the box and we don't want to hear it. But the next verse is, and those he foreknew, uh, he predestined to be conformed into the image of his son, that we might be the first fruits. Uh, and that, that word image in Romans 8.29 is the Greek word icon. I think it's spelled in Greek, 
either E-K-O-N or I-K-O-N. Well, it's the same idea that we have in our English word icon, I-C-O-N, that once we're believers in Jesus Christ, once our souls have been redeemed, once our sins have been forgiven, and once we have the promise of eternal life, uh, then he wants to break us, mold us, and shape us into the icon of his son. And, you know, we, when you have your smartphone, uh, you, have, you have all these icons of all these apps. And when you press an icon, when you press Facebook icon, when you press whatever, you know, you get a whole host. Of, who, know many, who knows how many thousands of lines of code are behind that icon. But when you press it, you get a certain response, a certain reaction, a certain expectation. Well, the Lord wants us to be the icon of Christ. And when the world presses on us, it should get Jesus. It should get his love, it should get his gospel, it should get his kindness, his understanding, his grace, his mercy, and his forgiveness. And that's what Christianity is all about. God has infected us with the gospel of Jesus Christ through his Holy Spirit. And we're carriers of the gospel. He wants us to touch others' lives in such a way, in an iconic way, that allows that infection to pass on to another soul by his spirit. That's bottom line. That's all I do. I love that. I love that. Pastor Jerry Birch, he is the Cleveland Cavaliers chaplain. You know, I didn't even ask you, are, are the Cavs going to win it all again? Did they, are they yeah. are they equipped to do it to repeat here? Based on what I, we've seen uh, lately, absolutely. It's mm -hmm. fun. You know, the thing is, what they realize is this is not going to be easy. And and they're 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 loaded up on that notion. Well, uh, I mean, Golden State Cleveland part three would be what every NBA fan wants oh, yeah, to see, yeah, right? Absolutely, absolutely. I, you know, it's um, uh, we are more than capable, and um, you know, uh, but you know that that's why the games are played. Absolutely. Well, as long as they got number twenty three on that side, oh, there. Exactly. <laughs> I, LeBron James is a blank chip in the Scrabble game. You can put him where you need him to be and call him what you need, and he'll he'll make it happen. That's so true. He's an incredible, incredible basketball player. Listen, it's been great to have this conversation with you, Pastor Jerry Birch. He is the co-pastor of Abundant Grace Fellowship in Cleveland Heights, Ohio. If you're in the area, stop by, say hello. And he just completed his 18th season as the Cleveland Cavaliers chaplain. Pastor Jerry, thank you so much for being a part of, of the podcast and for joining us. We really do appreciate it. Well, it's been my pleasure, Jason. Uh, thank you for having me. And we do thank Pastor Jerry Birch, the Cleveland Cavaliers team chaplain, for joining us here on the Sports Spectrum podcast. What a great interview he was. He went so many different areas and so many different places, from LeBron to team chemistry to his story, which is really powerful. And I'm going to bring in right now the director of digital and media here at Sports Spectrum. It's Raymond St. Martin. And Raymond, what did you think about uh, Pastor Jerry Birch? I thought he was a really interesting guy. Very interesting man. And so much to his story. There's so much meat on the bone. I mean, this isn't someone who's walked that perfect walk his whole life and came to Jesus early and walked the walk, went to seminary, became a pastor. I mean, he's someone who really walked, you know, he's, he's walked a very full life, both like following Jesus and then also straying from the path and to see where, where God has put him and the glory that he gives to God and how he allows God to shape his life today is it's, it's inspiring. Jason, just to, to hear that kind of a story, his personal story, then as a basketball fan to get that look behind the scenes, a little peek of, behind the curtain of what's going on yep. with the Cleveland Cavaliers, you know, me, I'm from Oakland. I'm a Golden State Warrior fan, born and bred since the days of Sleepy Floyd and Joe Barry Carroll and Larry oh, yeah. Smith. And you, people can't see you now, but you're wearing your Boston Celtics hat. I am. So, I mean, 
all of us kind of have some rooting interest here. But I think us, we have a newfound respect for what happens in that Cleveland locker room an hour before tip-off. Yeah, I mean, to, to what fascinated me is that Chapel and, and sort of how scheduled it is, you know, 15 minutes before, that's what they got. It's 15 minutes, and when it's zero, they're back out and doing their thing. But Chapel is so important to so many of these players that they have to finish their pregame sort of warm-up just to get to Chapel. They're running to Chapel to get there. But then that it's combined, I, I, that just fascinated me because I know, uh, fascinating to me because in the NFL, it's not that way. In baseball, it's not that way. But in basketball, Chapel is combined. And you got the Cavs and the Warriors going to Chapel together before they're about to go do battle for an NBA championship. Fascinating to me. I think it's amazing. It's an amazing look at the fraternity and the brotherhood that truly exists in the NBA that although it may seem like these guys hate each other and like Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant, you know, the media wants to build this up because they want to create this tension. And maybe there is a little tension. Maybe there isn't tension. But then when you see them both going to chapel together in Golden State, you know, the Warriors chapel's there. And then here comes Russell Westbrook, you know, walking in and they're learning about the word and they're embracing and they're praying together before they go on the court. I think it gives us just a completely different look that what that fraternity and the brotherhood is truly all about. Yeah, and a lot of times, you know, the media gets so caught up in what's on the court, and rightly so. I mean, that's what ESPN and others are covering. But when you really peek behind the curtain and you get to know the people, the people that these guys are, you know, they're playing basketball. And, you know, when I, if you and I play basketball right now, Raymond, I would want to beat you. I would try really hard to score more points than you and have my team win. But you're also my friend. You're my brother. So once that's over, we're going to embrace. We're going to go out to dinner. We're going to hang out. We're going to pray together. We're going to go to chapel, whatever it is. And I think we lose sight of that when we're watching professional athletes and thinking, oh, they're just on this pedestal and they're higher and they're glorified more. When it comes down to it, it's in a lot of ways the same exact thing. Like, yes, they make a ton of money. And yes, they're competing at the highest level. But they're still just people who want to play basketball. And then when they're done, they're going back to loving each other. And, and you're right. That brotherhood, I think, really came out in this interview. It, it really did. And I think as I watch the playoffs, you know, as I look at Cleveland and I look at people like James Jones, I look at Richard Jefferson, I look at, you know, Dante Jones, who they just re-signed. And you hear him tell the story. You hear pastor tell the story about how these are men that have positions and roles on this team that are not putting the ball in the bucket. Right. Now, Richard Jefferson was instrumental last year, filling in, you know, to help this team, you know, to help this team advance. And he had some great minutes, some great plays and things. But you look at this year, that they needed to make sure that he was still on the team and it wasn't so he could play defense and it wasn't so he could make baskets. You know, as the pastor said, you know, I'm not the chaplain that sits on the bench. I started thinking about these three men, these three followers of Christ on the bench. Like yeah. these three internal champions on this team, on the Cavs. I mean, I can't, I'm going to say this, but I kind of became a little bit more of a Cavs fan today, Jason, just I'll, listening to that. Definitely. I mean, you know, as a Celtics fan, I want, I'm more jealous than anything to watch them just cruise through the playoffs and having not lost a game through the Eastern Conference finals is ridiculous. But I think so too. You know, when you root for, you root for people. I think mm -hmm. when you, when you start talking to a lot of different, uh, people that are in sports and you get to know them as people. And I think you feel the same way. Suddenly your mindset changes and you understand where their hearts come from and the type of 
person that they want to be. I think it was very poignant that, that Pastor Birch said that LeBron wants James Jones around. That's why he has a job. That's why he's still playing when he really isn't contributing and hasn't contributed for quite a few years now. He wants him around. And that's that. Go, it's almost like for us spiritually, Raymond, we need people like that around us in mm. our lives, you know, like mentors, people that we can just be real with and talk to and people that can make us better in life, right? I think it, absolutely. I think especially at the stage that these NBA basketball players are at, you know, this morning in my reading, as I was praying, I was, I was focused on what is it in humans and the current state of humanity that drives us away from God and that pulls us toward things of this earth. And one of them is pursuing wealth out of, out of the fear of not having. And those of us that are parents out of protecting our children, we feel like we can say it's okay to pursue this job at the sake of maybe something that we know it, it, it could be doing some harm because it's protecting my children. Right. And then someone asked me a question yesterday. They said, why is it that when people become wealthy, they want more and more and more and they're not satisfied with the wealth. And as I was praying today, it was, it was that they are pursuing power. They want power over something. They want glory, power and glory, power and glory. I want to leave. I want a statue in my name so that when I'm gone, there's legacy. And as I was praying through that today, the Lord's prayer came to my mind. And then the last few lines, you know, all power and glory are yours now and forever. We are released from that. Mm -hmm. And as these NBA players that are out there seeking a trophy, seeking immortality, seeking a name on a trophy, to have a James Jones on the bench, to have a Dante Jones on the bench, to have a chaplain that you could speak to for 15 minutes, I think puts that eternal perspective. Uh, it gives us that eternal perspective and could potentially give them that eternal perspective. They realize that although they are doing this, the power to do it was given to them by God and the glory belongs to him. Yeah. Amen. I mean, that's exactly what it is. And I think it's really, it's really awesome to get a peek behind the curtain into these lives. And it just really gives us good perspective the next time we watch the Cavaliers or any other team play, right? I mean, when we're going to watch the Cavs battle in the Eastern Conference Finals, and we're going to watch the Golden State Warriors battle, and potentially we'll have a rematch for the third time. I guess it wouldn't be a rematch. It would be the, the three match, I guess it would be called. <laughs> if somebody uses that, you know you heard that here first. I'm just saying, Raymond, the three match. The three match. But it's the Warriors and the Cavs again in the finals, and we're going to watch them differently this year, maybe than I did last year or the year before, because of what we heard from Pastor Birch. Or when you see Steph Curry, you know, with an hour left before the game, running off the court. Right. <laughs> you see him working out, warming up, and like he's running off the court. You know where he's going? He's going to chapel. Yeah. It, just, it gives us a, that, that new perspective that I think this podcast and your work is allowing uh, us to get of this game that we all love so much. So true. That's so true, Raymond, and I appreciate your thoughts there. It's, it's going to be fascinating to watch the – the rest of these NBA playoffs and the Cavaliers and the Warriors seems like they're on a collision course to face each other in the NBA Finals for a third straight year. We want to just thank everyone again for joining us here on the podcast. We're going to wrap it up and, and, and again, leave a review on iTunes. If you leave a review, you are automatically entered for the chance to win one of three t-shirts. They're awesome t-shirts from 180living.com, 180living.com. 
So leave a review on iTunes. You'll be entered. We'll announce the winners of the t-shirts on our next podcast, which is going to be Hunter Renfro from the Clemson Tigers, world champion Clemson Tigers. So we're excited to to have you listen to that podcast. Hunter's a, a great young man who's, uh, he caught the winning touchdown to win the national championship uh, at the game in, in uh, Tampa this past January. So he is a hero walking around on the campus at Clemson. And we're going to talk to him and find out more about his faith and more about what it's been like uh, these last few months being a national champion. Thank you so much for joining us here on the podcast. We look forward to talking to you next time. Have a great day and we'll talk to you soon.